Chris Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nimmer's Natter, just talking to teachers. Okay, hello everybody and welcome to the third anniversary video special uh, of Nailers Natter. So yes, can you believe it? People have been putting up with us for three long years now. So um, yes, like I said, the video technology we have with you today. So we're going to be live, uh, well, sort of live on Spotify and on all the usual places. So uh, welcome to Jacob and welcome to Drew. And we're going to be talking about the Beginner's Guide to Cooperative Learning, uh, which is a crown house book, which has just landed, hasn't it, gentlemen? It's just came out um, just before Christmas. And I've had the privilege of reading through this. And I tell you what, listeners, this is a really interesting book. You know, obviously we get to review lots and lots of books, but this is very, very different, very, very interesting. And I'm hoping to delve into it in depth with both of our guests today. So we'll start with the gentle introductory question. So Jacob, if we can go to you first, can you tell listeners about you and your educational journey to this point? Well, interestingly, I'm, I'm just recently turned 50. Yeah, you wouldn't, you know, imagine, <laughs> as my wife says. Um, but um, I came into education a bit late, uh, 2001, in some pretty challenged Copenhagen schools. And one of the things that really struck me was the the lack of language that many of these children had, the lack of ability to actually communicate about what they were learning and thinking. And to cut a long story short, when I became head of English at a, again, an inner city school in 2006, um, cooperative learning kind of caught my eye to solve this. And one thing took, one thing led to the next. And all of a sudden it was uh, just all systems go. We, we used to be ease on, uh, on average on our exams. And in two years, we'd surpassed the Danish national average. So, and this is with children who were all uh, from immigrant backgrounds with probably three or four or five stacked languages, none of them, which they spoke really well. So imagine trying to teach English on top of all of that. So I saw in my own eyes what it did. I saw what it did to the results. I saw what it did to the cohesion in the classrooms, the way that the behavior changed. And it was just from then on, it's just I was just caught up in it and it never left me. So that's the that's the short story. of it. Brilliant. Thank you, Jacob. And um, I'm going to go over to Drew. But before we go over to Drew, off air, listener, and I know we bang on about football every single week. So off air, we've had a bit of a revelation because uh, you may or may not be able to see again video podcast in the background. There's a, a blue and white scarf hanging on the wall. Um, and a shameless plug here. So apparently, Drew has also uh, frequented the uh, the kind of theatre of dreams uh, of the lower divisions, Springfield Park. So he's been to Wigan Athletics. I don't know if he's going to throw his Wigan connections in for his introduction, but Drew, if you can just introduce yourself and your education journey to this point. Well, I'll, I'm shocking the fact that um, I've spent a vast majority of my uh, football watching career in lower league grounds. I mean, my dad was from Wigan, so I'd be taking this. I was talking to Phil uh, to Springfield Park, but um, I used to spend I, I spent the vast majority of my time uh, standing on the North Terrace at Brisbane Road watching Leighton Orient, to be honest with you. And that's where the, uh, the, the huge amount of my uh, uh, footballing background and pedigree comes from. So, uh, yeah, I'm not actually that much of a football fan to be honest with you, because of that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, my education journey, well, after, well, it was one of those uh, interesting things. After university, I taught in Greece for uh, a fair amount of time and did a cup and did a short stint in Syria, doing the same thing and teaching English as a, 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 as a second or other language. And when I came back to England after doing a series of jobs, I then taught at uh, Hackney Community College doing general education for uh, 14 to 19 year olds um, who were newly arrived in the country. And uh, it gave me a great insight into the use of language and how people think, basically. Um, and then after studying in uh, doing my primary uh, graduate teacher programme, um, I was then teaching in London for a vast, uh, for a huge amount of time, and then moved up to Norfolk. And in everywhere I went, there was a huge cons. Uh, there was a huge understanding of how language 
and thought are so intertwined and that trying to enable anyone who you're teaching to be able to express themselves in a, a clear and coherent manner um, and giving them the space and time to do that in a classroom is, is fundamentally important. And through bizarre twists of fate and street parties, I, uh, Jacob and I sort of started hooking up in about 2013, 2014. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. So again, as we said, the, the book is, and we can see the book here. So it is The Beginner's Guide to Cooperative Learning. And uh, in the introduction to the book, you talk about how you began drafting this book in 2017, um, which not only is a quite a long time ago, but also an entirely different world. So the world has changed monumentally since then. So how has the, the pandemic and its continued effects on education added new levels of importance to the argument for cooperative learning? Well, um, to my, well yeah, thanks. Um, well, to my mind, um, the world has changed, in some respects, the world's changed fantastically since 2017. I think it's given a real impetus to the fact that the the key concept not only for academia but for social skills is that uh people and children and pupils and students regardless of what key stage they're in they need the plat they need a platform to be able to express their thought processes as clearly and coherently and as equally as they can and cooperative learning provides a great platform for that. It provides a great space and a safe space in which they can uh, elucidate concepts, in which they can explore ideas, but also, um, as, as we say in the book, not having the, the pressure of uh, fearing that their voices are, are, are drowned out in some respects, um, mm. which is absolutely you know, absolutely it which is absolutely key um and i think that with the with the gap that's been missed in in their learning and the gap of the socialization that's uh, that's been missed um because of lockdowns and because of uh the uh the home learning and the online learning and the remote learning um that it's it, it's an even greater impetus and a, and a greater even imperative in some respects to, for people to look at learning in a slightly different mm. way so rather than it being all about you being a, uh, a passive recipient it's about being active in the mm. discussion and in really engaging with the processes and the thought processes that the teacher is explaining Jacob yeah. <clears throat> I'm thinking I mean we think did a huge survey pre-COVID of uh, university students they seem, I think about half of them said that they were um, suffering from mental health issues that actually needed professional help. And 80% of those noted that those problems started in high school. This is before COVID even happened. Then we have a whole year of lockdown where people are isolated. They, we all have read all the, you know, the problem about being isolated with your family, uh, you know, the difficulties that are involved in that. Um, the sense of isolation, potential for, you know, violence or other types of abuse because people just lose their minds being locked up. We, we've all seen, we've all, we've all read about it. We all know what's going on with that. Um, and at the same time, you've got a tremendous gap in the, the cognitive skills and the learning itself. To my mind, you won't find anything other than corporate learning which could close those gaps at the speed you need because... We're going to be paying for this for the next, what, nine years or something, because the cohorts that are rolling up, they're, they're the ones who've been in lockdown. So unless we do something about it, well, it's, it's going to stick and it's certainly not going to get any better. I mean, that rethink um, survey is, is really, it's worrisome. It's, it's, it's honestly it's worrisome. So that, that's my thought on it. You won't, you won't find anything that does it as well, I think. No, absolutely. And that's, that's why this was really a privilege to get a copy of the book over this period, because, um, and again, I tried to timestamp this with sort of three years of podcasting uh, material. And it is interesting, gentlemen, to go back and listen to how the educational landscape has changed. But I just thought a lot of what you were saying there really does resonate and really does kind of ring true in the current situation that we're in, because as, as we record this, 
um, on whatever date it is. Oh, it's 29th of December. Um, you know, we, we're still unclear as to whether we'll be back fully to school or in some kind of hybrid model or whatever it might be. Yeah. But I just thought that everything that you were talking about there in terms of, you know, closing those learning gaps as we hear a lot in schools, this does yeah. seem to be, um, you know, a really interesting approach to be able to do that. And that leads me on to the next question. So um, if you can describe cooperative learning, but also what I like about the book is that you've really backed this up with a great deal of evidence and research, which is something that was kind of the reason we started the podcast in the first place. And you've mm. also got a, a kind of a, a consensus of, of, of views on there with some people giving um, some forewords to the book uh, that perhaps, and not by themselves, but perhaps by other people may be put into certain camps. Um, so it's mm. quite interesting that you kind of achieved a, a consensus across that. So if you can tell us about what you think cooperative learning is and what is the evidence base for its effectiveness. Um, do you want me to do the description? You do the evidence, Drew, or um, I'm 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 happy with either. Jacob, do you want to do the description and uh, and I'll do the evidence? That sounds fun to me. Well, I think um, I think the main there's a whole chapter just called what Co it should have been called what cooperative learning isn't because we need to be clear about what we're talking about. We're not talking about project-based learning. We're not talking about group work. We're not talking about uh, necessarily student-centered learning and all of these kind of um, concepts that don't really mean anything because people project anything into them that they want. What we're talking about is surgical interventions that micromanage the actions of every single pupil simultaneously to ensure that there is an equal participation so you don't have dominant domination and evasion, that there is um, individual accountability so that you're absolutely certain that at regular intervals, every single pupil is accounting for what they're learning. We're not saying what they're learning is going to be absolutely amazing by magic. That's not what we're saying at all, but that they will account for it. Um, and you can drop these micro interventions in at any point in the lesson stream. So if you want to do revision in the in you know classic Rosenshine lesson, you want to do revision, you roll out a cooperative learning activity, what we call a clip, a cooperative learning interaction pattern. You roll that out for revision. Uh, when you've done your modeling, uh, as you normally would, you know, in a, in, a, in a classroom, this is how you do the maths or this is how you, you know, change this to the passive tense or whatever. Then you use a cooperative learning interaction pattern to get the children to do just exactly that. And you control how long it lasts and you stage the language used within it. So every single lesson, the children are trained and trained and trained and trained and trained to use the specific action steps, how to speak, how to interact with each other, and it has everything in it. It has the eye contact, the smiling, full body turn, all of the things that you need if you want to um, be a functioning adult, I suppose, because you know <laughs> we all know that, that, that social skills are the key to unlocking jobs, career opportunities, happy relationships in the families. I mean, there's more to it than just, as Drew did, get to, what, 91% uh, combined in SATs. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, so. um, and I, I will, I will I, I'll just drop in at that point that, you know, that was a huge, that whenever the 91% in the SATs came, I uh, can't remember which year it was, it was a massive, massive, massive team effort from, everybody involved in that particular school and uh some fantastic leadership as well um uh, and that's uh, you know um from a huge raft of other people um and cooperative learning hugely played a part in that i mean the evidence behind um some of the concepts that jacob has just been talking about such as the pies um the fact that eating the cooperative learning interactive patterns or the clips as we uh, as the acronym leads itself to uh, is all backed up by um is all backed up by the positive the individually accountable the equal and the simultaneous which the evidence for this comes largely from and it's not very 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 uh it's not massively new some of this uh, research which was um uh it, some of it goes back to the 1990s when I must have been about 10 years old um, mm. <laughs> quite, quite, um, uh, it goes back to Johnson Johnson and Smith uh, looking at uh, how how in inverted commas what they called what they termed uh, 
the most successful aspects of group work. And if you look at so, um, and then if we sort of speed forward to that, uh, if you look at the walkthroughs book by uh, Tom Sherrington um, and uh, various other people, in the first walkthroughs book, they 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 go on to they they corroborate uh, what some of the main aspects of successful in commas group work and uh, I think Jacob and I both uh, get quite uh, frustrated when people say uh, <laughs> get very very frustrated when people say that cooperative learning is just group work because it's really really not because ultimately you've still got a huge individually accountable aspect for your role or anybody in a little group's role and they don't have to reach a consensus and that's the that's the main thing is that they can use their language they can use their arguments to uh describe and come up with whatever their thought process is there doesn't have to be a group consensus at the end of a lot of the clips um and also you know we've got there's a huge amount of uh research from slavin as well again this is sort of like quite old that comes through and um and it really does go into the fact that uh it the students when they cooperate and listen to each other and they hear each other's thought processes they can then adapt and think about their own thought process and develop it as it goes through but the key bit for the teacher so if you're taking it from the teacher's perspective you can hear what they are to all intents and purposes thinking to some extent and you can swoop in and uh, address misconceptions very very quickly and easily so in a roundabout way, I hope that's kind of answered some of that question, Phil. No, it absolutely has, Drew. It absolutely has. And this is something that maybe when, um, you know, I was looking at the book, I was thinking, you know, quite quite lazily on my part, thinking, okay, we're going to be looking at a book about talking about group work and let's see where we go from there. And obviously having delved into it, you know, the, the amount of research and the, the, the kind of the in-depth work that you've done and also the role of the teacher within this, which is something that we'll come to hopefully later on so just with that i mean i know you've given a bit of a distinction there about group work and uh, cooperative learning but group work has often been criticized as you know unstructured and more likely to lead to disruption so what i like is that you've addressed this really sort of head on and said that cooperative learning is not holiday from school rules but they're very embodiment so how important is the distinction between group work and cooperative learning well the 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 main the main distinction between it is that cooperative learning is a structured process. You're never just letting the you're never just letting the children uh, run and go. And a huge amount of it is um, a huge amount of this is down to the teacher controlling um, concepts of time. It's about them controlling con- about the teacher controlling uh, the purpose for why the pupil or the group and the groups of pupils are speaking to each other so it's a very very focused very very structured method mm. of allowing pupils to experiment with thought with process with language with ideas and concepts in quite a safe space because it's also quite non-judgmental because as we all know a lot of the time when people the difference between writing and speaking is that there is a permanence there is a permanence to writing you can be judged on what you have written um which is uh, a great fear of mine when it comes to writing a book because you can say a lot of things but when it's actually written down you've got a, a physical embodiment of your thought process but when you're speaking, you can say largely uh, whatever you like, and you and and the I think the, the the what's built in is the safe is the safe space to to experiment with your thoughts, adapt your thoughts, and then come to some uh, realization within yourself as a, a as a student that you can be diff you can say something that's different to the group, whether it's right or wrong or not but you can say it. And that is a very, very powerful tool. And so you don't have to reach consensus. And the key thing is, is that the cooperative learning interactive patterns are all structured. And quite often structure for it comes down to time and the fact that 
if we were you know working in a group of four and you're doing a cooperative learning pattern such as a word round you can say right you're all going to talk for 20 seconds each and we can use a loop timer on the board and when the beep goes somebody else is going to speak and you can say thank you um and then you can say whatever you wish to say and the teacher can model before that goes in and you know i'm sure we'll come on to the role mm. of the teacher later um but it is a safe space and everybody's got an equal role in the group and you can say things like i disagree with you i think x mm. whatever that x may be um and so that's the main difference between the unstructured group work where pupils then go off task and uh, don't actually co uh, don't actually contribute to the the entire group yeah. and the very very structured approach that cooperative learning takes. Yeah, absolutely, I think one 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 thing that Drew said that really resonated with me um, a long time ago, but he really encapsulated. He said the the outcome of the cooperative learning is for the individual, where the outcome of group work is the group. The target here is that when you're done with the cooperative learning interaction pattern, each of the children, each of the participants walks out with an, an increased skill set. It's not that they present some communal, you know, solution to the teacher and the teacher has absolutely no way to assess who's been doing what. It's a very, very different approach. Um, and obviously then, because everybody is speaking, everybody is contributing, the assessment obviously becomes a lot easier. Just roving around and listening in gives you a much, much more um, detailed and perhaps realistic um, understanding of what's going on in their minds, as opposed to, you know, picking some poor, you know, bloke in the background, you know, or, or the pick me, sirs or whatever. It, it, it gives you a very, very shallow insight into what's going on in the class, as opposed to getting every single individual talking on task. Even if, like, you had four people in a team, right, 20 seconds, it's not a long time. But the volume of the conversation, the volume of the talking that happens compared to picking an individual kid, I mean, suddenly it starts to make sense how you can move the results like that. Because obviously you're getting so much more out of every second in class. Just a thought. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you. So we, we've mentioned um, about the CLIPS early on. So Drew, you, you mentioned what that acronym meant. And one of those that you talk about uh, early on in the book is about the Catch One Partner. So would you be able to talk listener through activity one, which is class building, and maybe a little bit about how to introduce Catch One Partner to your class? Yeah, certainly. I think, um, well, the most important thing about introducing um, a, a, any clip, and uh, if we put it in the context of Catch One Partner, is, and I, I have this uh, a phrase that I keep coming back to, which is, it's a routine, so you make the routine the routine. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. the key thing to do with it is to do it and to keep modelling it and to keep doing it every as, as much as you can. So I remember introducing um, the Catch One Partner into uh, my year five class and basically I, I did it very heavily around uh, vocabulary and around recall of what words meant so you uh, and and what concepts meant so we I started with it of just modeling it very heavily of standing up so if we imagine that everybody in the card uh, in, in the class has got a tiny little card with a word on it um, and the words were four or five key vocabulary words for the lesson that we were coming up with. And you hold the card up in the air and you walk up to somebody and say, hello, can I ask you a question, please? Uh, what does the word um, uh, what does the word bridge mean? And in that context, we were talking about Treasure Island and the bridge was a part of a ship. Because bridge can mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. But in this context, when we're talking mm -hmm. about Treasure Island, when uh, uh, Jim is standing on the bridge of a ship, it's a specific area of a ship. And you can have up in the background the, uh, the definitions of what that word means up because it's a new word for children. So you're not trying to catch anybody out. And that's the key mm. thing. But they're constantly repeating that in this context, in Treasure Island, the word bridge is the upper part of the, uh, the ship where the 
uh, where the captain helps to control the boat. I can't remember the exact definition that I put up on the board, but the definition also has to be extremely uh, child-friendly and relevant for the person. And I think mm. that that's where the skill of the teacher is. And they literally stand up and walk around the class and say to each other, hello, can I ask you a question? What does the word on my card mean? And then after they've spoken about each other's cards, they swap cards so they get a different card and they go and find someone else to talk to. It's a very, very simple, great vocabulary building one. And when you're putting it into a class, when I was doing it in the primary class, I remember the first day we did it, I started every single lesson with a catch one partner. So we started it in English, then we went into maths and we just rehearsed our, I think it was our three times table where people had the cards of what is three times six? What is four times six? What is eight times six? And they just went around the classroom asking each other that. And then we went into, uh, I think we were doing history in the afternoon and we re 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 recalled some vocabulary from the previous week and added in a few more and added in a few new words. But this is the key thing about it. It's about making it a routine so that pupils know exactly what they have to do. And in some respects, that lightens their uh, mm. their cognitive load because they know the, they know the pattern that they're going yeah. through. What it's they're repetition is the focusing on the word and the learning or the concept and the learning. And it's just about bringing it in and just and I think that a lot of the fear that teachers have, and we have to address this when they're trying to do it, is, oh, I don't know how mm. they're going to do this. Yeah. Well, it's about just doing it in some respects yeah, yeah. and then putting in the routines that you want in your classroom and then thinking about the role that you as an adult take. And I would always advise, and I frequently do advise, um, uh, any of the teachers who I see putting in, in uh, Catch One Partner to stand up and just observe their class and you manage mm. you know you manage the individuals you're if you're lucky enough to have a teaching assistant the teaching assistant can be involved and talk to the pupils and get involved and be as a you know a very very more knowledgeable other uh person within the mm. group but you can stand there and you can look and you can say you know Bradley, please don't walk past Jasmine. She's got her hand up. You've got her hand up. Please talk to each other. Thank you. And yeah, it's it's very very much a clear routine. And I th so going back to it, it's basically about just doing it and making the routine the routine. Yeah, absolutely. Just thinking about props, um, handmade. There you go. It's as simple as that. And. Remember that most of the stuff you teach, you're going to be teaching for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, depending on how old you are. So actually, these materials, they can be used by every class if you're in a multi-entry school, or you're going to be reusing them endlessly. I mean, this is something that needs to be memorized. Vocabulary needs to be memorized. Millions of things are just hardcore memorization. And this whole idea, there's an unfortunate mix-up where you think the corporate learning is all about high-level thinking. It is not just about high-level thinking. It's also about getting the basic concepts that create the foundation of the high-level thinking in. And one really interesting thing about what Drew says about the repetition of the same corpus of learning attraction pattern is day one, you talk about, okay, what's the bridge in the story? But the next day, once they mastered it, it said, um, can you make a sentence where you use bridge in this context? for example, or can you remember something from the book where the bridge is involved? So they're continuously continuing raising the bar for what they're using the same materials for. It's not about fire and forget when you do materials. The whole point is you get more and more and more out of it and you build gradually, gradually, what we let's call schemata, let's use a, a current word, but which has a, makes a lot of sense. They gradually, gradually, gradually extend the boundary of what they can do with the vocabulary you're teaching. But you start with simple, what does that mean? There's the back end of a ship where the commander stands. Well done, Bradley. You know, swap cards, that guy. Until Bradley can make a sentence where it goes, um, uh, the, you know, captain was standing, gazing across the, you know, glittering ocean from his vantage point upon the bridge or whatever you whatever you wind up with Bradley. 
So, don't know that particular brand, but if it was one I'm <laughs> Uh, but these were the first when we, when we designed the training for Stalin Academy. I think Catcher Partner Word Run were the first ones, weren't they? When I originally yes. came up with the, idea, the original ideas, because they, um, I think one of your questions, Phil, is why why start with this one? Why not something else? Well, one of the things is because you don't need to reorganize the classroom at all. It's incredibly simple, and if you think about the pressure teachers are under, you need to make things reasonably simple. Like you can launch a Catch One, a, a Catcher Partner, like like that with no worry about teams or groupings or where if you do word rounds for an example we would we would really recommend that you actually think about how you put the children into groups so you'd want a higher ability a lower ability and two mediums so that when you do the round you start you might for example start with the higher ability pupil he makes a reasonable good model based on what the teacher did remembering the teacher is still the sage on the stage before he becomes a guide in the science to use that old, you know, I think it's seventies type of eighties type of language. That I'm so old, you <laughs> can't help it. But the higher ability pupil gives a model. I think uh, that Hamlet uh, is uh, has mental health issues because he's speaking to himself. Then the next guy was a lower uh, medium ability would then say, "I agree with you on this, and I think it's because of the, you know." Uh, he's been so hurt. And then the lower ability goes, I think he's prophetic before he, because he speaks to himself. All of them are contributing. All of them are saying something. But the lower ability kid gets the teacher's modeling, high ability, medium before he gets hit. So again, it's that, it's that sense that, that there is a, um, it's not a group effort, but it's tons and tons and tons of modeling that makes language come out. And we've seen this Drew and I, if you're consistent with this, your lower ability pupils just flourish incredibly because they get all that language modeling and they're being listened to. People say thank you when they speak, which is like a first time or, you know, for, for many for many children. So it's just um, it's a powerful tool. I th and just and I think that it, it, you know if you were to, uh, as Jacob just said, pick you know doing. Uh, Doing a doing a catch one partner is one of the most uh, uh, one of the simplest patterns to do because you don't have to uh, rearrange your classroom. But um, yeah. and going back to a point that Jacob made about um, the ease of the materials because you're going to be doing these things over and over again. And yeah. I have to throw in at this point that um, I used to have a, a, a couple of baskets at the uh, uh, tiny little plastic baskets at the front of my on the front of my desk of four vocabulary and four basic maths and times table questions mm. um, yeah. that I was awful at keeping organized. And I had this wonderful, wonderful teaching assistant <laughs> who would go and reorganize my baskets for me every half term. And so I would just yeah. like to acknowledge Miss McAllister at this point and say, what a fantastic job she did organizing my, my mess. <laughs> yeah. Actually think about teaching assistants, an interesting point that you made before is that they cost about a quarter of most primary schools budgets. And there's a lot of evidence to show that they're not being used very well, but in cooperative learning, get them into the training because for the, for the, for the duration of the clip, because they've seen the teachers modeling, they know exactly what everything's supposed to be lo looking like from an adult perspective. So they, in a sense for that time, they get on par with the teacher. That is, it, it is actually like having a proper, fully trained teacher in the classroom within the scope of the activity itself. So just an important, um, an important thought because the, the teaching assistants really, I think a lot of them are not wasted in, in, but they could be used to more effect and they could feel more empowered and they could feel more as uh, participants in the classrooms. Depends on, on your school, obviously, and your own ethos. Which reminds me, we haven't actually talked about the whole issue of how this changes school ethos as well, um, which is which is also if you're consistent with it. I think um, Drew, didn't you tell me that story about was it the the people from Norwich Football Club who suddenly came in and said, "What's up with the kids?" Um, oh, that they changed their view. Oh uh, well, there was um, yeah, there was some. It was a. Uh, it was just. Um, 
when you have uh, outside people coming into various schools and they realise and they, they acknowledge just how well the pupils can can speak to each other and, and when they see it changing over time it's even more it's even more uh, wonderfully wonderfully stark basically that's good. brilliant thank thank you both so much depth in that answer that's brilliant right a couple of things to pick up on if i can from those answers so first thing drew absolutely about the writing thing so you know shameless plug for own book as he does every single week but it is my podcast so if i'm not going to plug it who is and um, i've just <laughs> i've just about finished off the last couple of chapters and the uh, the, the kind of the fear of actually you know having done 135 episodes of a podcast that are quite transient and then obviously people listen to them and they go away to actually put that down and the permanence of, of having, I mean, granted the book is about the conversations I've had and not necessarily about my views, but yes, the, the, the crushing fear of uh, the permanence of my words and that somebody, well, one person at least may read it. So yes, absolutely to that. And uh, the other thing, thank you, Jacob, for using props, the first props on Nailers Natas. You're listening to this um, on just an audio, you won't have seen the quality of Jacob <laughs> you're showing those again there. So that's fantastic. This is what we want from the future of, of uh, video <laughs> podcasting. We want that kind of high quality props. Superb. Okay, right. This this next question hopefully takes me to, you know, what a lot of people might be thinking about when they listen to some of our recent podcasts. So we've consciously diversified the range and, and type of kind of books that we talk about and people that we speak to because of a lot of these false dichotomies that can exist, particularly within social mm. media and education. So if you think, for example, about things like, and I've just written a few things down while you were talking there, you can either have kind of routines or group work, which is perceived to be sort of more student-centered and, dare I say, free and easy and kind of just do your own thing. You can have knowledge or skills, you know, it's not both, or you can have direct instruction, or you can have group work. So with that in mind, many listeners might be surprised so far at the amount of kind of teacher instruction that you've talked about in cooperative learning. And they may think, as you allude to in the book, that cooperative learning is thought to be student-centered. So how have you sought to link direct instruction and cooperative learning? Um, well, I think I remember when we were doing the, when we were doing the cover, one of the really the original cover just had two kids running to each other with uh, i don't know if you hold up the book two kids running towards each other with um uh, with little puzzle pieces and one of the things we're quite anxious to get in is if you look at the cover it actually encapsulates the answer to the question the teacher is showing how those pieces fit together so the teacher gives direct instruction on how whatever they're supposed to be doing is, is executed this is how you create the passive from the uh, an active sentence. This is how you solve this, you know, set up a scientific experiment. This is how you thread a sewing machine. This is how you use the bar model. Whatever it is, you model that will work the example. Everything straight out of, you know, Rosenshine is the latest, you know, iteration of a million of those, you know, direct instruction gurus. Um, you know, bless his memory. It's past, past now. But what happens once the direct instruction has taken place, there has to be, and quote, this is quoting directly from Tom Sherrington's book, the guided practice, before you drop the children into individual work. And that gap in the guided practice, that is where the cooperative learning goes in. So you model, you explain, you do lots of worked examples, you leave them on the board so there's reference points, there's Drew just pointed out, make sure all the definitions are up there. You do not want people to set them up to fail. You want to set everybody up to succeed. That's, that's the point here is that, that everybody can manage. There's no excuse for copying out. Once you've done all that modeling, in, if you're doing anything that's even remotely newish or uh, uh, complex, I'd get the teaching assistant or a kid up and I'd actually model the interactions, model the language, always modeling the body language as well, the eye contact, the smiling, the nodding, all of those basic skills that children don't get because they're, you know, or, or they're in isolation or whatever they are. And once that's done and they've seen exactly what it's supposed to look like, and based on the working wall and the model examples on the whiteboard, you set them off. You monitor, monitor, monitor. They're all, remember that they're they're working on their own here. You don't need, once you set them off, you're free to monitor. So you circle the room, you listen in, 
You can do micro interventions if you really need to, but on the whole, I just step out, just listen, listen, listen. The brilliance of having, uh, because remember some group, some, some of these uh, clips, the cooperative learning interaction patterns, they work in pairs, some in groups. And one of the beautiful things here is that you, when you recognize, for example, a certain group is ready to drop into an individual work, it doesn't affect the rest of the class. And that's a part of the beauty of, sequest of sequestering your, your class and slicing it into small components, is that um, the differentiation is very, very simple. Your group is ready to start, your pair is ready to go into individual work, get moving. The two of you do two more of those on the board, and so on and so forth. Until eventually, because that was the whole point, remember going back to what we said before, the whole point is that each and every child, each and every individual has an outcome. It's not about that the group can do something, because when you go into your, your, your exams, there won't be a group. But then when you think carefully, you know, when your parents come and say, oh, my God, you know, my clever, you know, Abigail is helping you know, stupid units or whatever, because you get that from the parents. Ask yourself, just ask the parent, do you think that Abigail is going to be more or less capable of solving a word problem in her sats if she's been explaining to stupid units day in and day out how to solve the word problem, like how to solve different word problems? Okay, well, fair enough. And I think that's half of the reason why we get these incredible results is because they are mirroring their thinking there, even for a very, very high capacity pupil with lots and lots of language. Think about the example that Drew gave about the 20 second um, presentation in the word round. For a high ability pupil that can speak for 20 minutes about that topic, he suddenly needs to make an assessment. Hmm, what's relevant, my knowledge? Okay, what language can I use to compress those key components into a 20-second burst? Um, what's, uh, what's not relevant? How do I make the connections? And that's being trained every single day. Talking about like feeling that I'm not really being very concise here. <laughs> it's bad modeling. But where the, where the lower ability pupil, he's fighting for his life to just get that 20 seconds of talk in, both of them are being challenged. So the beauty and the teacher, has, there's no extra work for the teacher. All you need to do is just stage the, stage the activity and stand back. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing because it gives you the, it gives you that breathing space as the teacher where you're not, um, what's that game, whack-a-mole? You know that, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Whack-a-mole, yeah, exactly. We have to like, all that's gone. And you just have a, a, a moment where your mind can just go, ah, okay, now they're at it. It doesn't mean lazy teaching, because you're still observing, obviously. But it allows you that step back where you think, okay, what's my next intervention? Based on what I'm seeing here, what are the gaps in the learning I need to close? What is the next appropriate step? So it just takes so many boxes. You get the social skills, the assessment, the personal development, the academic skills. It's do it well and it works. And I think, Phil, going back to the 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 the, uh, uh, the, the question that you asked about how this bridges a lot of uh, a, a huge number of uh, of of concepts is that the so if we take for example things that have been you know some of the Rosenshine concepts or you take the mm. ideas of routines, quite often there's a lot of this is what you need to do to be successful and you can nod and you can say that's great but how and the cooperative learning interactive patterns the clips provide a great vehicle for that this mm. is how something can be done and how it can be successfully done yeah yeah it's a good point yeah and in terms of the structure of the book that's very much how you've done that book and you know you've got very clear almost walkthroughs haven't you of how to go about doing this and in which order you should necessarily look at those you know so it, it, it is it, you know really kind of user friendly for the person who's reading the book to make sure that you can kind of do that and you know if i did a bit more teaching as he says every single week you know i'm, I'm sorry gentlemen when i started the podcast i was doing a lot of teaching it's because i don't know if there's a, a link here it's got progressively less and less over time but if i did then this would be ideal in terms of you know getting a, a kind of how to do this and I think that that's a really good point, Jacob, as well, about the uh, the cover of books. Because actually, now that I've looked at that in a new light, I can exactly see how you've linked the kind of direct instruction to the cooperative learning. So that's really useful. Thank you for that. 
Okay. We were afraid of falling into the dichotomy of, you know, traditional versus progressive there. I was like, oh, oh, best to keep both sides, keep both sides happy. I mean, there's no reason to, you know, I think we're good on the same page deep down. I think it's another definition of bridge to be brutally honest with you. <laughs> oh yeah. Absolutely. yeah, good, yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay. So um, we've, we've talked a little bit about uh, how we're going to try and use this new uh, medium. So uh, is there a possibility that you can show us a little bit about your teaching and learning cycle uh, and maybe talk through that for the listener? Uh, well, okay. Well, the teaching and learning cycle uh, for a start, I, I, I don't claim uh I don't claim own ownership of it, um, and I wish I had a copy of the book here so I could hold it up. Um, but um, the teaching... Can you find design... it, maybe, uh, Here ah, it comes. There, there it is, yeah. Ah. So, yeah, so, ta-da. And the thing is, is that it works in a huge number of... It works in a, it works in different ways. It can work in a small way. So if you just took a, a, a catch on partner, for example, you're explaining and modeling the new vocabulary. You are putting that in putting that into that context. You then got um, the idea of direct instruction, of completely saying what it is that you are wanting the pupils to do. You've then got the concept of joint construction, which is basically the talking to each other. And then as that comes out, you've got the independent construction, which is what you are as an individual saying. And that works on a small scale. It works on a large scale. And the, the teaching and learning cycle is a fantastic, a fantastic way of conceptualizing learning across a lesson, across uh, a um, across a scheme of work, across a unit of work, across any concept that you're trying to, uh, anything that you're trying to teach, because you go through these phases. Um, and ultimately, the teaching and learning cycle doesn't necessarily, it, it, I think a lot of it comes, comes from, uh, it, it's, a, it's a linguistic, it's a systemized linguistic function, basically. Um, and it's very, very useful, but what you can't do with it is and this is where uh, implementation, which I'm sure we'll come on to later, is that it, it's not a t it's not like the uh, if anyone can remember, um, I'm sure some of your your listeners will the 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 numeracy or the literacy hour. Um, uh, it's it, it's not a it, there's not a, a, a didactic. There is a set amount of time that you have to have on each area. It's very, very much a fluid concept that you as a teacher need to be aware of that, okay, I need to put this vocabulary into context. I need to model exactly what I want them to be, what the pupils to be able to do at the end of this. I need to have a point where they're talking and practicing in that low stakes way that we, that we discuss where they're talking so it doesn't feel that there is a huge weight to uh, what they're writing or what they're saying, and then they can make their independent the, you know their independent outcome for from it and be that at the end of a lesson or be that at the uh, you know just was there as, as you're going through the cycle at, at, or at any point really um and so in some respects the teaching and learning cycle is is a, is a, is a is a wonderful model that accounts for all the areas that as uh, that the evidence base at the moment is pointing us towards and that's why and that's where co-op and um, cooperative learning fits beautifully into the joint construction area yeah. and there's a wonderful diagram it, it, there's a wonderful diagram in the book which i hope you'll go and buy well absolutely you will we'll, and we'll, 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 yeah and we'll, we'll signpost people to that at the end don't worry at all so we'll make sure that we get people to do that and we always do that on the podcast that's why i always try and keep it to round about an hour because i think you've got to leave the listener wanting more to go out and buy the book. So we don't want to cover everything. Um, you know, it's just to, to whet the appetite. Right. Speaking of which, now I'd really do like this section that you've done because quite often, and again, this is something that I'm finding at the moment with again, second shameless plug for own book is that your audience. But what I like is that you've, you've kind of looked at what is in cooperative learning for the classroom teacher. What is it in for the leader? What's in there even for 
you know, the, the CEO of an Academy Trust yeah. or whatever it might be. So I thought, well, mm. I'll pick a couple, but I mean, feel free to, to do different ones, uh, gentlemen. It's, it's up to you. But if you could talk about what is in the book for, say, early careers teachers, or perhaps what's in it for the role of Senko, or what's in it for, you know, leadership of a school. So if you want to, to kind of take on those those different areas of, of, of teaching. Well, yeah, I think, um, I mean, do you want to grab that one? No, no, you go first. Go first, Jacob. Well, looking at, I mean, we've already kind of covered what's in it for the teacher and for the teaching assistant, what we've done. But one thing that is very, very interesting is this issue about leadership. Um, like, I'm of the opinion that unless your school's on fire, the only thing that's important is the teaching and learning. That's why it exists. And and even, you know, if the school's on fire, you should probably just call the fire department and keep concentrating on the teaching and learning. <laughs> um, but very, very often the leadership kind of drifts away from, from that kind of core proposition. Um, and it, it becomes a vague, it becomes vague. It becomes too much about all the other things that are happening. Now, what happens with the cooperative learning is just looking within a single school is that because the clips are completely identical across all of the classes, all of the age groups and all of the subjects, the only thing you've changed is the content. It's very, very simple. It's very easy to get your head around. What am I looking for when I step in? Okay, I'm looking for some careful, effective modeling, and I'm looking for good monitoring execution of the task, and I'm looking for them to drop them into individual work at the right, at the right time. Next class, rinse and repeat. Next class, rinse and repeat. And because all of the teachers are doing it, at this, they're doing the same thing with all the different... Um, personality shifts that it does accommodate and, and do really know what I'm talking about. You see people doing this. It looks, the, it is the same, and yet it has variations based on the teacher. Um, but the, the consistency means the teachers can have a quick conversation in the classroom, or sorry, in the, um, in the um, uh, you know, in the hallway going, this happened during that clip, what should I do? Oh, I'll try this, try that. Okay, fantastic. The consistency means that it's very, very easy to share good practice. Then when you look from the, the perspective above, so you have your multi-academy trust, you want something that's coherent, but you don't want to disrespect and alienate the individual schools, especially, I mean, there's been all this, you know, the hostile takeovers and the forced academization. There's all of these things going on, which we, you know, no reason to, don't mention the war, like <laughs> where the trauma starts. But because it's incredibly consistent and yet is open to interpretation, is open to individual uh, situations and children and content, you create a consistency across your trust. And at the same time, you respect the, the difference between the schools. So again, and if you want to go into doing your own little research network, work with your local research school, it's almost a no-brainer because the consistency means it's actually more likely that you will um, be able to make an assessment of what you're doing. So for, for a, looking at the very, very low level of you know teaching assistant, teacher, day-to-day -day classroom teaching, and looking at the very, very high level, it really covers everything between those. And then obviously you've got the Senko issues. I mean, Drew used to be a Senko. Um, I've seen amazing work because obviously... Um, this issue about excluding children that have behavioural problems. Um, in the boat, we know uh, Adam Davin from Henderson, where basically the school's in free fall. Um, it's generations of hatred towards the education system. But what happens is that the, the experience of learning with others and being able to succeed for the first time in your life slowly, slowly draws those kind of on the verge of being excluded or sent to the SRB he kind of draws them in. And he, he said recently, he's got people coming back from, you know, now they're year seven, year eight, coming back and saying, do you remember what happened then? Like actually formulating that. I remember what it was like being this type of person. And then this thing happened and now I'm here. And now I'm, you know, in year eight and it's it's rolling. So, I mean, we're talking about something. I'm, go I'm going to Bosnia in, in a couple of weeks where, you know, obviously they have a, a sort of a history where, conflicts have arisen and just having that discussion with, with with people about what it actually means also on a political level what happens when children come out of these type of situations and they can communicate effectively 
as opposed to like banging each other on the head with a rock. There is, as, as we said in the beginning, and just, you know, a, a very important point is that this is much, much, much more than just getting amazing GCSEs and SATs. It's much, much, much more. It's about having success as a human being. And that's a, it's a rare thing. So, I think, anyway. I think, yeah, I think for what, what this can do for you as, you know, as a, as a classroom teacher or as a Senko or as a, any form of leadership thing is, it establishes a common language for and a yeah. common concept yeah. for how it, for how we want to how we want to learn and how we want to play within yeah. our organisation and how we want to play and uh, learn with within our department, for example. And it just establishes a common language and a common framework so everybody knows what we're talking about and that the the clips provide a set pattern. So you can see as a leader where something may be going right or maybe going wrong, and then you can help the teachers, the learners to tweak their practice and move forwards. And I think that that's the key aspect to the clips. Yeah, spot on. Absolutely. And this is why this is, I know I keep going about the video podcast, but I think you two were the perfect people to do this with in that, that, that sits, you know, it, it kind of goes through the book, doesn't it? In terms of that social connection, that social construction. And I'm sitting here and I'm nodding along and I'm smiling along and I'm agreeing with a lot of the points that you're saying. And this wouldn't necessarily have worked quite so well if we were just at the other end of a phone line, would it? So actually, you know, it's the right book to launch this particular uh, medium with, isn't it? Okay, last question, if we can, Jacob and Drew, is to talk about the story of, is it Stalham? Is that correct? Yes, yeah. And so that Stalham has implemented cooperative learning, and you dedicate a chapter to talking about that in the book. So we can just talk about that story and how they've implemented cooperative learning. Well, um, the implementation of it, um, and this is one of the wonderful things about, um, one of the wonderful things about uh evolution and evolving and um in some respects especially um in in later years the support of the of of the trust the ceo and the directors um in later years where but implementing it is basically and the key aspect was that was that when um it was originally implemented into a school you had to you have to know what the learning issue is that you're trying to solve without knowing what it is and you just drop it in you're not going to really solve much so a huge amount of it is about analyzing what the actual issues are and in the book we talked about some of the what the what the issues were in Stalin at that time and we're talking about something that happened (coughs) seven that that some of the issues were seven or eight years ago and then you think about what you're trying to solve and then you think about how as leaders and glenn russell who came on board as the head teacher and i think it was uh 2015 he really really ran with it and he was able to keep a focus from the staff onto it by consistently engaging with them and also backing it up by using uh clips in staff inset and staff cpd so quite often if you're doing a safeguarding um so they would so quite often they do catch on partners when they're doing um either you know any form of cpd that they're doing so that the staff are up and the staff are this as well also, what you're doing is is you're re-establishing what the actual pattern is, so it doesn't move away from lethal mutation. But in terms of Stalin and implementation, it's about knowing what you want it to, what you want the cooperative learning to solve, yeah, and then making sure that the that you are consistently living it. And that was the thing, mm. and it evolved massively uh, at Stalin from the from the original. Um, from the original CPD all the way through to now is that it's evolving all the time and it's being tweaked all the time to make it more and more efficient, to make it more and more, to make it tighter, to make it more uh, direct. So, and all of this is done within the context of support from leadership, support from, um, 
support from the trust and an acceptance that this is how this school is going to go about it. But ultimately, mm. it comes down to what is it you want to solve and what are the issues that we want to solve. And then you try to and then you set about solving it. Um, mm. And I think that making it a, a heart or a, a concept or a, a, and a living way that you are encapsulating how you want people to be and how you want pupils to be, how you want teachers to be was so important. And it does, uh, uh, but it does require uh, bravery in, in a lot of respects. And I think that the, you know, the staff at Stalham and the leadership at Stalham and the leadership of the trust have been incredibly, incredibly brave by going through this process and that's uh, and and that's it so it, it stands been on an amazing journey it was in it was in special measures it's now incredibly incredibly successful and it's a beautiful and it's a beautiful beautiful community uh to be in and around and and, and this is the whole point of the cooperative learning thing is that everybody's individually accountable for it and you really get that sense and you really get that sense of sound that everybody plays their part and it's you know it's the ownership it's, isn't it and it's not just one I, it's not just one you know it's not just one it's everybody playing their part within it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's so that's so spot on i mean what as a consultant you you really the thing here is that it's you don't want something prescriptive because it'll die out what is needed is that the school like stalin is that you take ownership, you make it your own, as long as you stick to the, the clips and you ensure that you facilitate the positive in, interdependence and the individual accountability and so forth, then you can take it almost any direction and it will just grow and grow and develop and make those uh, those changes. But if you try to force it in as a tick box exercise, where now we've done this and you know, it, it's, it's not going to come to life because the fuel for it are the human beings that you're involving. And if you deep down don't want to involve like people in, in, in the process, it's 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 not going to happen. Um, so where we've seen it fail is always where um, also where I've seen it fail is always by kind of dropping the ball and not not being consistent, not allowing it to grow, not having that. It's not not courage in this. You know, I don't. It sounds a bit, you know, I don't want to scare people off, but uh, there is, there is some, there is some, there is some bravery involved, obviously, when you try to make these changes. Um, so yeah, absolutely, just be consistent, and the clips will ensure that people get involved and do their bits. Just be consistent with it. That's, I think, the bottom line. A great message. Okay, so just a reminder for the listener that the book we've been discussing is the Beginner's Guide to Cooperative Learning. Remembers to show it to the camera. There we go. Um, by Jacob and by Drew, obviously. And the book is um, a Crown House book and it is available now. So just an opportunity, uh, Drew and Jacob, to just point listeners in the direction of what kind of work you're doing. And you've obviously mentioned, I'm, I'm kind of in awe of your uh, educational journeys, literally. So we've had Syria, we've got Bosnia, we're going all over the world, aren't we, with, uh, with yeah. this. So tell listeners a little bit more about maybe where they can find out more about you, the work that you're doing, or how they can engage with you um, in terms of the talks that you might want to do or anything on, on social media. So, Jacob, if I go to you first. Well, it, both Drew and I are like um, social media Luddites, I think. I mean, I, I have I do have a Twitter account, um, but probably uh, yeah, I'm just... I'm, if you can't do it honestly, you know, don't do it. So it's, it's just it's just there to be there and to link to people such as yourself and promote the book and stuff. Um, but it is uh, Berdlin Edu, so uh, W-E-R-D-E-L-I-N and then E-D-U, Verdlin Edu. And I have a website as well, which is verdlin.co.uk. But I think what people find most interesting is the blog, which has both a very kind of consistent story about Stalin over quite some years and also some of the development being done in, uh, in trusts, interview with CEOs and, and, and so on and so forth. People might find it interesting. I'm also doing a course, I think, on the uh, 21st or 23rd of next, of next month on cooperative learning through Dragonfly training. But what I'll do is if I I'll put all that up on Twitter, 
and then people can have a, have a look from there. Do you think that's a, the best the best way to go about it? Thank you, Andrew. Um, well, if you want to, uh, if if anybody wants to contact me on Twitter, I'm uh, I'm just checking what I am because I, I very rarely. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> My point exactly. I mean, who doesn't know the Twitter? So if you want to, <laughs> if you want to contact me, it's Drew J. That's Howard. right. I wrote mine down. <laughs> <laughs> it's Drew J. Howard. Um, and if people want to directly message me, then they're more than welcome to. Um, yeah, please do. Absolutely. And and. But at the moment, that you know, I'm I'm very, 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 very much focused on the work with the uh, schools within 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 uh, within our trust, and um, I've also just and part of the other thing is I've also just started doing a master's, so I'm kind of focused yeah, on that because <laughs> I can't stop writing for some reason. <laughs> well, we'll come up uh, the not beginner's guide to corporate learning is going to be due out in like a couple of a couple of years. <laughs> well, we're very glad that you can't stop writing, both of you. So that's a perfect place to finish. Um, so just to say thank you so much for your time today. Really, really, genuinely, really enjoyed the book. Um, and having had these period of time in between Christmas and New Year to kind of get stuck into that, uh, I'm very much looking forward to making this part of my priorities. And Jacob, I love what you said about that about being this, the core business of the school rather than the other vague stuff. And, you know, not to go into detail now, but I spend far too much time on uh, things like, probably shouldn't say, uh, appraisals and good stuff. But important as they are, important as they are, you know, the focus on teaching and learning yeah. is obviously important. So that's really, really uh, important. So, yeah, like I said, just to reiterate, the book is Cooperative Learning, The Beginner's Guide to Cooperative Learning. Make your learners your main teaching resource. And I'm assuming it's available directly from Crown House or from uh, Amazon yeah. or from everywhere else. Yeah, Amazon as well. Yes. And you can, yeah, and you, yes, you can get it. You can get it. You can definitely get it from Amazon and direct from Crown House. Fantastic. <clears throat> right. So I'll put links to that uh, in the show notes. Thank you for being the first uh, participants in the video podcast let's see how that goes so it just remains for me to say thank you drew thank you jacob really appreciate it thank you that was amazing thank you so, thank much. You so much for your time and inviting us nailers natter just talking to teachers